Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm delighted to introduce season five of the podcast and another opportunity to take a peek inside the minds of some truly inspirational teachers. We're going to explore teacher development, mental health, evidence-informed practice, assessment, and much more. But first, we have the inimitable Claire Seeley and a discussion based around her extensive experience of leadership in a range of contexts. Before we begin, I want to take a second to remind you about all the ways you can engage with Thinking Deeply About Primary Education. We have the YouTube channel with supplementary videos on a range of themes, a Discord server where like-minded individuals keen to engage with deep thinking about education gather, and links can be found in the show notes. And finally, it would be fantastic if you could take a second to review the podcast wherever you listen so we can spread our reach further and wider than ever before. I think that's enough for me, so without further ado, let's spend some time thinking deeply about primary education. So this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Seeley. It's great to have you here, Claire. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Now, we always begin with our guests in numbers to get a feel for who they are and where they're from. So my first question to you is years as a teacher. Well, it depends if you count me as being a teacher now. Because the last three years, I've been working as a civil servant in what's Guernsey's equivalent of Department of Education. So I still think I'm a teacher. So it's either 33 years or 30 years, depending on whether you think I still count as a teacher. I mean, I'm still a teacher in my soul. Some people might say, no, you're not. And some people might say, well, when you're a head teacher, you're not a teacher either. So in which case it's like, I don't know, eight years or something. But yeah, let's call it 33. <laughs> yeah, I think I think 33. I think once a teacher, always a teacher. Plus you're yeah, heavily involved right. in education and a lot yeah. of the same things. So yeah, I think 33. Years as a head teacher? 22. First year group taught? Four. Last year group taught? Well, as a class teacher, two. I mean, as a head teacher, I taught groups. Yeah. Generally year six. But um, yeah, my last group that I taught was four kids in year six who were the absolute lowest in maths. And they were until, great. Until you'd finished with them and then they weren't anymore. Mm. <laughs> no, I think they were that, but they were a hell of a lot better than they were, but yeah. <laughs> Most important year group? Yeah, now I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, no, oh, they're all important. <laughs> Very diplomatic. <laughs> and but they are, I mean, you know. <laughs> Favorite year group? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I mean, I mean, they all have like they all have their quirks, their benefits, and disadvantages of all of them. I mean, like I, I really like year two. Um, when I taught year two, and what I used to I like, but I particularly like them after Christmas, because up, you know, up until the first term, some of them are still not quite joined. Well, you know, this is like early years people go, that's really terrible what you're saying, Claire, but not quite joined the planet of education yet. 
you know, there's still like that very random thing where you're going, so can anyone tell me what this shape is? And they put their hands up and you go, they go, my grandma's got a cat or something. <laughs> I get something you. magical happens after Christmas. It's like, ah, now you're with me. Anyway, so yeah, I really like year two, but then you do have, you know, that there's, there's the old independence versus being a bit too independent and cheeky and naughty side of things. So, you know. Year two, they're not so independent. Year six, they're great. You can have really good discussions with them, but then they can be a bit too independent and want to plough their own burrow in a way that isn't always the way you want them to go. So, yeah, they all have their they all have their uh, benefits and uh, downsides. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you are the head of education improvement for the states of Guernsey an author, mm -hmm. ex-head teacher of St. Matthias School in T Tower Hamlets. Tell us about your journey and how you got here. Okay, but you'll have to say stop, Claire, you've been on too long, okay, because I can go, and then, you know, 1963, I was born. No, yeah, okay, so I'll try and, so how, so I'll try and do highlights. So how I got to be a head, which was a bit random, was um, I wasn't a deputy head teacher. I was part of a leadership team. And I went on maternity leave to have my first kid. And at the same time, the head teacher had been there a long time, left. Um, and there was a new head teacher. And I kept on getting phone, you know, I was on maternity leave, but I kept on getting phone calls from my friends going, oh my God, this man is crazy. He's mad, he's incompetent, whatever. Um, and I thought, yeah, they're just finding it hard because the last head was really charismatic and nice. Everyone loved them and they just find them change hard. But actually, the more I heard, like he absolutely was totally incompetent, over-promoted. Over so cut long story short, I went back from maternity leave. So that was in September when he came. I went back in January and I'd asked the outgoing head teacher when she was doing the year groups, can I go in year two? Because I've taught that before. I'm going to have a baby. It's going to be hard. Anyway, and, and I, I didn't really get to teach year two very long because everyone, people were leaving because he was so difficult to work with. And I ended up at the half term, the February half term, being phoned up by the diocese church school saying, huh, Mr. So-and-so is going. You're going to be acting because the deputy had gone. The deputy just couldn't bear working with him. You're going to be acting head. So I went from not being a deputy head Coming back, thinking I was going to have a relatively easy year because I have this tiny little baby to being head teacher. And then and I was there for 22 years. So that was, I did that. So yeah, I was thrown into it at the deep end. And one good thing about taking over from somebody who's really terrible, the great thing about that is that everyone thinks you're marvelous. Like, it doesn't matter how, <laughs> what you're, I mean, obviously, it's a really steep learning curve for me, but everyone thinks you're marvelous because you're better than he was. So that was, that was that was really good. Um, anyway, so that was there for 22 years. And then my kids got my kids, you know, time moves on 22 years, you can get I've talked about my kid being born, he was now an adult, and my other one was about to go to university. And I didn't have the ties with my children being adults, tying me to London anymore. You know, they were they were not at school anymore. And it was like, I want to do something new. So I was doing an RM about what to do. I had thought at the time I'd already got into, I was doing quite a lot of speaking at conferences and you know, my blog had taken off and everything. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll be a freelance consultant. Thank God I didn't because, you know, 2019 was not a good year to start off as an education consultant because of, didn't know COVID was coming. So thank God that didn't happen. But actually this job in Guernsey came up and it seemed really interesting and very different from working in Tower Hamlets and living in Hackney and in the city of London. 
and I so I applied for it and got the job and here I am so that's the potted history of how I ended up here yeah it's action-packed too and um, I think we'll get to you know the similarities and differences between those two main leadership roles you've held mm-hmm. but I think it's yeah it's, it's really interesting that we're going to focus on leadership and actually mm-hmm. there may be something at mm-hmm. all, all stages of leadership, I think. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. first question, what is leadership? Okay, I'm going to use, and I know it's a, it's a cliche, but the metaphor of the journey, but I just think that's, that, that I can't think, I don't, can't think of a better way of describing it. So as a leader, you provide direction, like where are we going? What's the destination? And some, you know, you might be loads of people in, in your organization who agree on the destination. There might be some people who, who don't really, but you set the destination. Then you also, um, so you've got a map with a destination and then you decide the route we're gonna follow to get to that destination. And that's so, so it's about planning. And at the operational st- sort of tactical side, of leadership I think is overlooked because it's not the glamorous sexy hey I'm a motivating charismatic person no this is the nuts and bolts of here's let's plan let's organize you know the operational managerial side of it so you're going to have a root number you're going to then you've got to encourage people to to follow you to follow the journey on the map and that's fine when it's all great but you know it's following it even when the terrain is hard even when it's you know 40 degrees like it is for you in England right now um you know or when it's uphill and when it's boggy or you know when it's hard we still we're still doing it we're still going to keep on going even when it's really hard and challenging and but last of all it's also responsive so like we're not so wedded to the that, that to our route on the map that we can't change it if needs be so we might need to deviate we're still going to the same destination but we might need to find a workaround and change uh, how we're going to do it uh, when necessary because you're going to be responsive to information in front of us so those will be um that's the uh, leadership is it's you know being providing direction providing plans providing motivation and being responsive to the facts on the ground i think that's really important you know and you're talking about the nuts and bolts that's the bit mm-hmm. that normally gets missed out whenever you hear inspirational speakers talking but actually mm-hmm. that's the bit that if you do that right and everything else sort of sort of follows on from there, doesn't it? Yeah, there's, I can't remember, there's this famous quote, which I can't remember who said it, but you know, it's a lot of love in detail. And, and you can be, you can be wonderful and, you know, inspirational or whatever, but you, you do actually need to get the plans right. And actually when, I don't know, like, um, you know, when, if you're a teacher or whatever, and you're going away for the day, you know, to do a talk or whatever, and you're handing over to your deputy to run the place or, or you know, I remember the first time I was left in charge of a school. I mean, actually it's the operation. You're not going to suddenly... You know, have a new vision are you um you know you're covering the school for days you actually need to know what how do i get a supply teacher what happens if a kid gets really sick and i need to call an ambulance you know but who's in charge of safeguarding or, or who you know if, if if who can i call if there's a thing what do i do if an angry parent comes in what yeah you know, it's all of those sort of operational things that that you need to get right i mean obviously there's more than just that you can't just have a school ticking over like that. I mean, you do need that. That's a sort of minimum. Maybe it's the phonics of leadership. <laughs> Number fact of leadership. You know, there's, there's a minimum that you need to do. And then you need to do some more on top of that. 
but you do you can't and it's sometimes that's sort of overlooked and derided because it's not it's not sexy it's not you know there's no there's no glory in that it's hard graft and some of it's quite boring yeah i think that's anything worth doing is normally hard work you know one but worth the effort and in the mm -hmm. end you know you're, you're i'm thinking about my current head he and i've known each other quite a while and whenever we're left we maybe weren't working together but we were in, left and responsible for schools we're like okay let's make sure every class has got a teacher and that they stay there for the whole of the school day <laughs> and if yes. we do that it's been a success <laughs> Yes, but you know, and then once you once that's all in place, obviously you can build on it. What are your guiding principles for your own leadership, and do they differ depending on the scale of the of the role? I think number one is worry about being genuinely good, not looking good. And I think that can't be said enough that we've got. I mean, I mean, you can say you can blame Ofsted, but I think if it wasn't Ofsted, it would be something else or something else or something else. Because I remember the time before Ofsted, and I don't think it was any different then, that it's not about looking good to some external audience, be that, you know, parents, Ofsted, local authority, the map, whatever. It's about being genuinely good. And that means, you know, we're going back to that thing about destination. You have to know what your destination really is. Um, and hold being true to that rather than we I think we've got ourselves into this um, or lots of schools or maybe the system as a whole into performative school improvement there's certain it's not it's not genuine it's like there's certain things and rituals you do and if you do that I mean that's what performative means if you perform certain things then you're good you do these things you pull this lever you do that you do this ritual da 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 whether it's marking or Listen observations or data or coaching or blah, 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 blah. If I do this, 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 I've got this checklist, I've done all the things, I've done everything everyone told me to do, so therefore I'm good. No flies on me, I can't be held up for criticism because I've done all the things. So, yeah, without a real understanding of the why. Um, so, yeah, do good, don't try. It's not about looking good. And the other thing with that is I'd say, as well as knowing your craft, and there's lots of research about leadership being specific rather than generic. So, you know, it's not like sometimes you get books like learning from football managers and translating that into being against this charismatic thing. Actually, I mean, you can probably learn a bit from a, a football manager, but actually, if you want to know how to run a school, you know how to, you need to know about teaching and behavior management and that side of things. You know, there's a lot of technical, technical stuff you need to know in order to do that well, sort of specific to that uh, domain. So you need to know your craft, but you also need to know yourself. I think this is important because lots of us, lots of us, you know, we've talked about direction and purpose and values and, you know, lots of us go into teaching with some sort of moral purpose to, to make a difference and to do good and whatever. And that's great, but there's a shadow side to that. Because if our ego is bound up with, with doing this because we're going to make a difference 
And then, you know, it's quite hard to make a difference, actually. You know, it's like all one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to go in there and all the children will, will smile and glow and be wonderful and magnificent and fantastic. But actually, it's hard and doesn't always work. And what happens when your this vision is thwarted, uh, if, you, if you don't understand your own motivation and what, uh, um, where that's coming from, because it's not actually about you. It's not about you making a difference. It's about a difference being made. And you may fall into that, but it's not actually about you. But if you don't do that work and know yourself, then one of three things or all three will happen. So one, you might want to make this difference. You work yourself into the ground. You work, you don't have any boundaries on how hard you work. Because, you know, if you're, if you're trying to do these wonderful things like you know, combat poverty and end racism through education, then how can I possibly have a weekend off? A weekend off combating racism? How very dare I? You know what I mean? So, so you, can, you, can, you can sort of destroy yourself or your family through overwork or, or despise yourself for weakness. So you can do that. Or you might project it all onto, especially if you're a leader, you know, we hear about toxic schools, that you may be this selfless, heroic, noble person, but you're let down by these awful staff you work with. They don't understand the cause and, and, and aren't, aren't as dedicated as you. And so you might become a really toxic leader who um, is not nice to your staff. Or you might actually, you might have children who are resistant to being saved. So you're this, got the savior complex. You know, to a, I'm, not, I'm not saying everyone's totally pathologically crazy, but you might have an element of that in you. And you might have children who are quite resistant to being saved and don't want to be saved, thank you very much, and uh, whatever. And then they can, that can become, make you either feel very depressed and, and, and useless, or you can actually be furious with those children for refusing to be saved by you. So all of those things, you need to know yourself and put your, you know, know what, know where, know what's motivating you, and know what's healthy about what's motivating you, and what's not so healthy about motivating you, and put your, and learn how to divest yourself a bit of ego. And my, I had a colleague who used to be my deputy head many years ago, and and we used to joke that you know we both secretly thought that at some point there'd be a, like a a statue in Bethnal Green where we taught a statue to you know to how wonderful we are for saving the poor children of Bethlehem Green. And you know, that is rubbish. So you need to put away that sort of hero savior complex and see it for what it is. And um, otherwise it will get perverted in one of those ways or two of them, all three of them. Yeah, I think that's really important because our sense of self-esteem when it's too yeah. tied up in what we do day to day, when, like you say, when things go wrong, that's when you start and um, really have an issue and it, probably where a lot of the burnout statistics might come mm. from. I know workload isn't solved, but certainly the pressure people put on themselves and I, certainly I've put them on myself in the past, you know, definitely yeah. comes from that. And, what, yeah. Yeah. And if your if your self-esteem is bound up with being successful, successful at work, then, I mean, it's you know, obviously we all want to be successful. There's nothing wrong in that, but if it's too bound up in that, that your whole sense of self, if you don't have a sense of your own self-worth just as a person, then you won't be able to sort of roll with the punches or whatever the phrase is. Is that the right phrase? Anyway, you won't, you know, when, when things are hard, you, you'll be less resilient to, to deal with them. So, because actually you have value beyond, beyond your job.
as important and wonderful as your job is. So I was this saviour person who came in and put the school right and it was all wonderful. I was really young. I mean, I'd only been teaching, I think it was seven years or something. I think it was 34. So I was a really young teacher. And it was like, yay, Claire, brilliant. And then a few years later, you know, actually I hadn't realised at the time it, it had gone well because I had a good team around me and I hadn't really realised how much of it was them, not so much me. And then, you know, they went off and had babies, got other jobs, everything like that. And I had a, in fact, I had a rash of, 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 of mass pregnancy and the school didn't, I didn't have any teachers. It was, it was really difficult. So, you know, that thing about have a teacher in every class. Yeah, we didn't really have that. That was quite tricky. And um, anyway, the local authority suddenly decided, oh, no, she's not this wonderkin. She's terrible. She's really bad. And we're very, um, very negative. And at that point, like, that was a real pivotal moment for me because I had this big sort of dark night of the soul, I suppose you'd call it. And I had to realise, like, what am I here for? I, I'm not actually here to be lauded as this wonderful person. I'm here to do a job. And sometimes it's going to be tough. And sometimes, you know, people are going to tell me I'm not doing very well. And maybe I'm not doing very well at the moment. And what's the right thing to do when people are telling me I'm not doing very well? Like, can they get someone better than me to do it? And if they can, fair enough, I should walk and the other person. But actually, they can't get someone better than me. So therefore, I'm going to have to stay in this really awkward, uncomfortable place where people are being very critical and bear with it. And not, I'm not getting any praise. In fact, I'm getting criticism that's really not deserved. But I got praise that wasn't deserved. So now I'm getting the criticism that's deserved. So suck it up and bear with it. And then do you know what? A few, I mean, it was horrible. It was really horrible at the time. But a few months later, all of my all my teachers had gone off to have babies. All came back, and it was all fine. And then we had Ofsted, and that was like, see, we got good local authority. You were thinking we're going to get special measures. But then, see, I told you it was just that my teachers are all off, and now we're all fine. So it was fine. But I learned a really valuable lesson about myself and my motivations for doing it. So, yeah, know know yourself as well as know your craft and know your school. talk about the scale of things I mean I've gone from one extreme to the other and I don't think it, I don't think the principles because you asked about principles I don't think the principles are different it's just how you enact them is different so I went from a school a one form entry school 240 kids to like uh, I'm trying to work out I think we have about 8,000 that's a bit different so it's just like communicating the bigger the organization the harder it is to communicate, obviously, but also the more other people you're independent. Like as a one form entry head teacher, yeah, you're a team, but actually you're really in charge. Like, in, like you're really, really in charge in a way that you're, you're maybe even in the three form entry school is less so, but you are really, really in charge. Whereas here, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the top person for a start, but even if I was, you are so dependent on others. I mean, you have to be, you know, you cannot, you know, first of all, there's the senior leadership team within the education office. Then there's also all the head teachers in all the schools, all the 19 schools. Uh, then there's all their senior leadership teams and there's their middle leadership teams. And then there's the teachers, you know, and so on and so, on and so forth. So, so, you know, communicating, you know, that whole thing about being good rather than looking good. So it's about how to do things and why we're doing those things. So, you know, what is good? How do you do it? Why are we doing it? The more people you have, the more complicated that is. Probably particularly difficult for teachers as well, because we like to have control so much. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we're forced in the classroom, yeah. our own yeah. little dominion. 
yeah. and then we have to um yeah we have to stop um i can imagine that's quite difficult yeah i mean and, and uh, you know peps mccree stuff so i talked about motivation and i think this is why that domain specific stuff is important so so we can talk about motivation and literally that is not just in teaching um peps mccree stuff on that is really interesting but you know it says you know if you want to motivate people you need to secure success well that's fine but like you need to secure secure success in the domain that you're doing not so this is securing success i mean he's using it for, for children but you know you can do it for adults as well if you want to secure success for teachers you have to know what success how to help them be successful so cpd in its broadest sense you need to so you, you can't do that you can't help them teach maths well if you don't know at least some sort of idea what teaching maths well looks like even if you know you're not going to do it the head of maths is going to do it your maths leader is going to do it but you have to have some sort of idea of what that might look like um you know run routines is the next one in in his uh, peps mccree's uh, five things that uh, you know make systems easy to follow well again you need to know what what sort of things will work um nudge norms so you know elevating the desirability of norms that probably is generic you know tell people what you what you do want rather than uh, what you don't want but again you have to know what you want and that's specific build belonging um yeah that's probably generic build common purpose and boost buy-in and all of those things are true for children but they're also true for staff so but again the bigger the organization the more moving parts there are the more complicated it is yeah i'm a, I'm a big fan of that the idea that there's a lot of similarity between yeah teaching and school leadership you know i think a yeah lot of, a lot of principles yeah overlap. yeah in fact there's um a talk i did ages ago years and years ago and you know we talk about responsive teaching moving away from marking and into responsive teaching and i the whole this talk i did is about well you know responsive teaching is also responsive leadership and in the same way that we need to as a leader as a teacher you're looking and seeing what's going on and you're getting feedback not for the kids but for yourself so there's assessment for teaching. So this AFL, I think that's a misnomer. A lot of it is not AFL, it's AFT, assessment for teaching. But there's also assessment for leadership and that feedback. You know, it's like, I'm going to give you feedback. Actually, the feedback's for yourself or for your other leaders. And if, say you've got an initiative to, I don't know, improve teaching and punctuation. And if people aren't doing it, then why aren't they doing it? Well, they're probably not, they're not, they're probably not doing it because they're feckless. They're probably not doing it because you either didn't you didn't explain it properly in the first place. I mean, you might have thought you did, you really might have thought you did, but you know that's that's it's like saying, but I, it's like that's like say a teacher saying, but I taught them about evaporation, yeah, but I don't know it, so it doesn't matter what you taught them. Did they learn it in the same way with teachers? You might have taught them about I don't know do nows or lining up in the corridor or teaching full stops or whatever it is. If they're not doing it, then you need to teach them again. So you might need to, yeah, you might need to teach them again because they might have, you didn't explain it properly, or it might be that you need to revise it because it's fading because, you know, there's so many initiatives in schools, aren't there? And sometimes we introduce in another initiative and another initiative and we, and we don't actually say, you know that thing I told you a couple of years ago? Yeah, that was, stop doing that. I've, I've changed my mind that we never are actually officially, well, you know, not often do we officially bury an initiative and say, stop doing that. So, so teachers think, oh, like, I mean, they might not think this out loud, but they like, they might just think, oh, this is the same as all those other initiatives that just gently fade and die. 
But if we if we actually want to keep on doing it, like no, 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 that sort of do now stuff is uh, no, that wasn't just a whim. That wasn't just a one hit wonder. I actually do want you to carry on doing that, you know, until I say not to. So you know, we might need to go back to the why. We might need to go back to the how. So we might need to 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 remind them how to do it. Uh, we might need to help people practice things until it becomes more automatic and habitual. And, and then we might need to check. So all of these things that I would say the same for, for as a teacher for your assessment for learning, um, assessment for teaching rather, I'd say it's assessment for leadership as well. So you might want to check in. Is this thing that I think is embedded? Is it really embedded? Is it so, sort of retrieval practice type thing? Is it like three months later? Is it still happening? Six months later, a year later, three years later, is it still, do we still really get it, the how and the why? And we should do, because it should be habitual. But even then, so you might move on to something new, they'll have newcomers, and is it, they might not understand the how and the why. I don't know what question that was answering, but that was my, that was my ramble about responsive leadership. And the, um, the thread's pretty clear to see, you know, from your guiding principles to what those principles yeah. actually look like on the ground. So yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. When you move into a new leadership role, you know, be it at a new school or a new trust, for instance, yeah. how would you spend your first hundred days? Well, I'm going to hedge my bets again and say it depends because it really depends on what the place is like as to how you have to be. So like I um, ages ago, I don't think how long ago it was now, but anyway, I, there was something called the Leadership Programme for Serving Head Teachers, which I went on. That was brilliant. And they, are best CPD I've had, I think. And they introduced us to the work of Daniel Goldman. And he, and, and he says that a good leader has the repertoire of all of these styles. It's not that any of them are bad or any of them are good. Some are better than others. Some of them are more flexible than others. But you need to have all of those. So those are the authoritative, abilitative, coaching, democratic, pace setting, and coercive. Um, uh, there is five. Yeah, so, you know, coercive is, you know, great in a turnaround situation. The building's on fire. Go, 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 go. We're not going to sit around and debate it. You know, we're just going to go. So, school in special measures are going to be ching and they're going to be very directive. And, um, uh, uh, but, you know, it has limited applica uh, uh, application. And then pace setting, which is when you, you know, set a really high performance bar and I can do this, you can do it too. Let's all be like me. I'm wonderful. You be wonderful too. And that works if you've got a really high performing team and they all, they all rise to the challenge. But again, it's not, it's not one you'll probably use very often. Uh, but the ones that that came out uh, the strongest and that we use the most were the authoritative one, which is so not authoritarian, authoritative. So you 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 know where you're going, you you know you have your vision, you know how to get there, and you're 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 getting other people to come along with you, and uh, you're not being you're not being highly highly directive. You're you're letting them take risks and and sort of uh, you know you've given them the broad direction, but you're and you're helping them make their own way of doing that. Um, but alongside that is coaching, because I think, you know, if, you, if you're too like, hey, here is the broad direction, you figure it out. That's fine for some people. Like, you know, autonomy can be good, but it needs to be a manageable and achievable autonomy. And, you know, not too much autonomy too quickly is not good. Um, there's also, you know, autonomy needs to be earned. So if in, in our school, you know, our special measure school or whatever, Mm, yeah, well, you, you know, you have to be at a certain standard before I can give it to you, before you can have that autonomy. But also, you know, the other the other end is like I'm not just going to give you autonomy as this unalloyed good if you're not if you're not ready for it, it's not achievable for you. 
So it's something that you can fade out. It's a bit like with children, you know, you have to model and scaffold things and then you take away those supports over time. So, um, so that's where the coaching comes in. So that's a very rambling answer to say, well, it depends what the school is like. So in how much you know about the school or the trust or whatever, how much you know about it so that you know whether it's in which of that, that, that repertoire of styles, which ones you should be using where. Um, so you need to do a lot of, of, of finding out, getting under the skin of wherever you are. So, you know, obviously that's talking to people, but it's also um, listening, to, obviously and talking and listening, more importantly to them, but it's also uh, spending a lot of time and seeing seeing the core business going on and reflecting on that. But I suppose if you say, well, I'm going to come and see lots of lessons, people go, because oh, they think you're about to judge them. It's like, no, 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 I'm genuinely just coming. I need to, I need to see how this place ticks. I think if I was going on as a new head, this is a top tip to new heads. You need to find out, you can ask people this, what is the thing that would make people most cross if I changed? And it's probably going to be something like, the nativity play it's not going to be the calculation policy it's going to be there'll be some touchstones like what would what would the thing that would make parents the most cross who get the most grief from what would make the staff you know, the support yeah in the school i was at the support staff and christmas there was stuff about christmas that was just sacred not the christmas not the christian side of it but just the other paraphernalia of yeah school photography you know it's things that like sort of the, there's things that are invested with value it's again it's bound to this direction you know I think I'm running a school to help kids learn you think I'm providing something so that you can have lots of nice photographs and a nice disco and and you know you're, you've got this sort of memory of what a school should be and that education is is so, so somehow tangential to that um or, you know, the same with, with some of the, some of them. I mean, I'm, I'm parodying, but some staff, you know, it's about making sure that Christmas happens in a nice way. So that's again about the direction. So, yeah, um, and knowing what the destination why we're here. So, yeah, asking, asking those questions and being prepared that some people are here for different reasons from what to that which you would assume they were there, you know? Um, so yeah, that's not a neat plan. I think it really does depend. And, and I think the other thing, the other thing I think when you move any job, and I've had this because at one point I was an executive head of, there's a school in Town Hamlets that their head teacher left and they couldn't get a replacement. So for a couple of terms, I was head of two schools. And I think it's really easy when you're in a place, you've been there for a while and people know you and trust you and like you and, you know, and they can, they, they're forgiving of you, they're forgiving of your little foibles because they, you know, they like you and, and they, they know you're basically on their side and, you know, but you don't, you don't take that trust with you. And, and, and that's not that people are they're horrible, but why should they trust you? They don't know you, you know, you haven't got that in the bank and, uh, and, and they don't, they don't know how are you going to respond. And, and, uh, you know, whether that was in this school or whether it was moving to Guernsey or things like that, people, people, no they don't know you and and therefore you can things that you might uh, you might say as a little joke or something like that that people they don't get it and they they, they misinterpret you and they're like well i'd never say that of course i don't mean that so that was a joke but yeah maybe don't tell jokes claire note to self be really careful early on with jokes because yeah 
it takes time to establish those relationships and again the bigger obviously the bigger the organization the, the longer it will take and you can't you know like i, I can't have a a personal relationship with eight thousand um well obviously not with eight thousand children but with, with however many staff we have uh, yeah it's just it's just impossible but um take your time know when it's different and you know there's all sorts of things you know talk about domain specific knowledge there's also domain specific knowledge of the, of the institution that you're in like really basic things like you won't know how the photocopy works and you feel like an idiot and oh, here i am i've been brought in i'm a leader yay i'm so amazing and then you don't know how the photocopier works and where the papers kept you can't remember anyone's name and it's just so much stuff you don't know and you feel really stupid and that that's i think that's normal in a new job you will feel stupid for a while because there's all sorts of nuts and bolts like you can't navigate the the, the, the computer system like things that seem obvious i remember being really frustrated with teachers like where's this is that what it's on a shared drive obviously and now I like, oh no, my bad. Sorry, I get it. Actually, I, I like I am still three years on, not always completely sure where things are saved um, or where I can find. I mean, I'm much better now, obviously, but um, you know, this policy or that policy. I think you're gonna save a lot of people a lot of hardship with that uh, with that top tip because I'm I'm in the same category where I would cut performances and things like that there, but I've also realized, you know, that. That's not what you can't just go in and just go, okay, we're not going to do Christmas this year. And, you know, <laughs> you know? and so, yes, yeah, so I think there will be lots of other people in that situation, you know, and I'm, I'm having flashbacks as you're talking, because it's really difficult to find the balance between sociability and, and your responsibility as leader. And it changes, you know, whether you're deputy or head, you mm -hmm. have almost, there's a different a degree, you know, the ratio is slightly, slightly different as well. And then, yeah, thinking back to my own career, maybe it took me two or three goes, to get that right in a new setting mm -hmm. you know first time in a new setting that's probably too reserved but then the next time i sort of had okay well maybe i can pitch a little bit further and so you know that you know i'm thinking back you know what you're saying is ringing true and i think it'd be really helpful for people as they as they go forward it's also it goes it goes back to what i said about people's sense of self-esteem and you know it's not personal if i say you know that maths lesson or whatever you could have done this differently and this differently I'm not attacking you as a person. This is like, this is a problem solving. We've got to be solution focused and think about, you know, because we want the same things. We want the best for the children. And, and, that, and that means that we just have to be a bit dispassionate about this. This isn't about, this isn't about you. Some people take longer to get there than others on that. I mean, that feeds perfectly into the next question. You know, if, there, if there's anyone who's maybe resistant or reluctant to sort of move in the same direction as you in the, school you know what would your approach be to support either support them in sort of making that decision yeah i mean i think you have to try and understand i'm not saying i always do this as well as i should by the way but try and understand what the resistance is like where is it coming from and also you know when i talked about a vision and direction that our choices about that are contestable like you know basically the basic the basic two choices are in a school it's you know and they're not they're not in opposition but they are intention and that's you know academic pastoral and yeah they're, they're definitely not in opposition but you know people will be weighted slightly more this side that side and all of our choices have a shadow side Jeez, I'm a Jungian psychology so you know that 
the best and, the, and, and we might make a choice and think it's very moral and whatever like that but there is a downside to it whatever it is so if we're really, really inclusive and we'd never exclude anyone and we really care about all these children and all these children who've had trauma and everything like that, that's wonderful. There's a downside to that in terms of maybe the impact of other kids, maybe the impact on what we're expecting of stop. However, if we're like, no, I care about the other kids and I care about the staff and therefore blah, blah, then that has a downside. So there's not, you know, that there are downsides that, but we have to own that like we're not we're not you know it's not it's too easy to think we're the good guys these are the good guys those are the bad guys over there it's like if you think about you know god early years and the whole thing about how polarized that gets you know that yes if you can be like well i really value really value play well there's a shadow side to that but if you'd like to no 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 it's got to be more formal well, there's a shadow side to that so you know, you need you need to know that what you believe in, and you can that's fine, you can believe in it, but if people are against it, they're not doing it because they're probably, I mean, who knows, but you know, generally, I've come across a few very strange people in my time, but generally they're doing it for a, a really heartfelt reason. So you, you need to, you know, try again, try and depersonalize it. Why they're not, they're not, they're not doing it to be irritating generally I might feel like that so understand what is it um, you know is it is it actually values is there is it a clash of values because that's really hard if it's a clash of values you ain't gonna get anywhere if people really 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 fundamentally are much more on one end of the if you call it I mean if I'm saying academic partial tension just I mean that's a, a very loose way of putting it but if they if they really 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 are what pulls apart, then probably, you know, it doesn't mean that you failed or they failed, but it's just probably not the right place for, for one one of you probably has to go. They will be happier elsewhere, or you will be happier elsewhere. Or it's about, or sometimes it's about you actually do absolutely have the same values, but you 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 fundamentally uh, believe in different routes to get there. So then it's about trying to be explain, trying to argue from your evidence being a bit humble about it so listening to them but ultimately saying well we're we gonna have to agree to differ like I understand all of those things and yeah there are arguments about that it's not that you know you're not just making up some random stuff there are arguments about uh, that but I think these arguments are stronger you may disagree with me but in the end of the day this is what we're going to do it's really easy to demonize people who think differently from you and that's not helpful you know you know when the when the DFE puts something out, I mean, obviously now I work for the equivalent of the DFE, albeit on tiny scale. But if I look on Twitter and see what England is doing, and they're, you know, the DFE say they're going to do X, Y, or Z, and people are on up in arms going, "This is dreadful! It's terrible!" Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I don't think that's helpful. Like you have to think. That, I mean, it might, it might, it might, it might help vent. But um, I think like when somebody's when somebody is saying to do something. I think it's always it's what's better is to think why are they saying it? What do that? What what's what's the good they're trying to achieve? Because people aren't doing things for random reasons just to be sort of domineering and or fickle. So what is it that they're trying to achieve, and why are they saying what they're doing? And then even if you disagree, it somehow makes it a bit bearable. You can say, well, okay, well, I can see that, that that the end they want to achieve is this, and okay so how can we sort of 
how can we tweak what they want to do exactly exactly quite like that but we can do this that it's sort of achieving the same end is this something that i've overlooked as important so for example some people really anti the um times table check which we don't have in Guernsey, but you have in england and uh, some people so the the, the the reaction to be that is that why are people saying this is important? Um, you know, and not to go, oh, it's rote learning, it's meaningless, la 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 la. Without why are people thinking this is this is important? How am I? How is my approach meeting the things that they think is so important? I mean, that's a bad example because obviously I think it's probably really important that kids know the times tables. I should have chosen a different example, which is one I'm, I'm less <laughs> less on side with. Um, yeah, but it's it's not universal though. There are definitely people who who would posit that, you know, children don't need to memorize their tables, you know, they'll be fine without it. So I think, I think the example works, you know, even if your, your own leaning doesn't, uh, doesn't quite match up with the, the stats you were sort of imagining you were taking. I think, um, yeah, when I think about, you know, you, you do need a healthy amount of challenge, you, can, you know, because, you know, we can see in England what having yes men around you leads mm -hmm. to, you know, total confusion and, um, disarray. Um, and I think it's the same in schools. You need, you know, you need those conversations in SLT meetings where people are talking about um, here, here are alternatives. For instance, in, in you're talking about instructional coaching or coaching, well, there are several, maybe several different models you could choose. Why are we going to use this instead of that and that kind of thing? I don't yeah. know. And I mean, here, I mean, because I'm, you know, I am one of a team. It's, it's a much, you are genuinely in a, in a team. You don't always get your, your, your own way. People can test things in a way that not so much when I was head teacher and sometimes it's really annoying but actually you know at the time it's like yeah but actually a bit later it's like actually it's better what we're doing now is actually better because of that challenge so yeah I think I covered quite a lot and I think your point about when your values don't align you know I think mm -hmm. teachers work far too hard you know far too many hours to be somewhere where they're pushing in the complete opposite direction you know like you yeah. said there will be schools where you are more happy because there's a million different ways we can do this job yeah. you know you're not going to find two schools that are identical no and do you know what do you know what sometimes like i see people on twitter that i probably don't agree with and would do things very differently but actually i think do you know what though at least you've got a real vision and you've looked and you've got your own research that you're looking into i might think yes yeah, not the right research no, no, no. but you know at least you have a real vision and you're trying to do it and you're not doing this performative um school improvement that's just trying to tick boxes and please somebody else like you have a vision of how you want it to be and you're going that way and there's an integrity to that and a passion to that and that's probably why you know it probably works to a degree it's the people who are just doing this sort of performative, trying to please. We've got, oh, yeah, what does Ofsted want? Well, there was something on Twitter, and actually she unpicked it later, and it wasn't just as black and white as this, but she's like, there was today about, oh, I'm thinking about using marking codes. Do you think Twitter will, or do you think Ofsted will like it? It's like, who cares whether Ofsted? That was completely the wrong question, you know? I mean, one, they don't care. They don't care at all for a start. But, you know, that that's not why we do things <laughs> you need to like if you're going to use marking codes it's because you think it's going to help children learn better in a way that's more effective and has less workload for teachers that's why you would use them but they're you know personally i would do something else but you know that's one way of doing it that you might that you might want to do yeah i think i think we're, we're quite a way off sort of getting over that psychological hurdle you know that we were 
sort of funneled into in the in the mid thousands, yeah. I think. You know, but I think you know, I think every inspection I hear, you know, colleagues go through, you know, they, they seem positive and they seem to be taking, you know, there's no one way to do things, there's no offset, you know. Back in the day, you learned the dance, you taught the way you were supposed to teach, and then your lesson was outstanding. But now it's actually, you know, I think there's an, there's an expectation thought will have gone into the why. So, you know, I think that's promising, you know, mm -hmm. without um, without alienating all those people who um, mm -hmm. are anti and happen to be listening. You know, I think there's a place for external validation, you know, but uh, but we're not, you know, it's not. Well, perfect. let me tell you, tell you a story about the back in the day. Uh, before Ofsted, which obviously I remember, like probably lots of people here are far too young to remember that. But my brother was a teacher, a secondary school teacher, and he was teaching English. And the head of English said, well, English is about communication. So if children are wearing their, uh, what they call Walkmans, do you remember, you're probably too old for you're young for Walkmans, but you know, back in the day before iPhones, yeah, Walkmans, if they're on their Walkmans listening to music or whatever, that's communication, so that's fine. Can you imagine? You know, it doesn't matter if they're not listening to Madison, it's because they're English about communication. That is why we need Ofsted. Like before, <laughs> before Ofsted, honestly, it was so bad. Like, People did really, really, really terrible stuff, and that's that's why. And and, and that, I think that's and when you talk to offset inspectors, um, they'll say, "Yeah, but you haven't seen what I've seen." <laughs> like if you, I think if you're a reasonable school, it feels like disproportionate. But actually, we need people looking in and checking, and it isn't, you know, because. There are people out there who are doing some really not good stuff. Thousands of teachers and leaders take inspiration from your work. Where do you go for your sources of inspiration and how do you ensure that your own professional development is tended to? You know, because if you're, like you said, talking at research ed or doing, you know, mm -hmm. many different things that you you sort of do in your and what would appear your spare time. You know, how do you make sure that your professional development keeps taking over as well? Well, I think that research ed is, I mean, yeah, I speak at it sometimes, but I also go to all the other people's talks. You know, I'm only talking for one slot. So that's been brilliant. That's really, really, really helped me. And I've heard some wonderful people. You know, there's, there's the, the obvious, well, obvious to me, uh, big names, you know, like, you know, whether it's Daisy Christodoulou or Oliver Caviglioli or Tom Sherrington or, you know, Pepsi Pri I've talked about. You know, all of those people that... Um, Sonia Thompson, Andy Percival, um, so all of those, all of those people. Um, Twitter, I know Twitter is derided sometimes, but you know, just ignore the rubbish. That's what I say with Twitter. If people are in some random argument about nothing, just scroll on by, and just don't get involved. Or you know, get involved if you want to, but you know, know that why you're getting involved. Um, but yeah, actually, Twitter has been brilliant. Um, it, it just you know people put links up to things and you read things and you read another thing and yeah I've learned so much that probably Twitter's been the biggest thing that has shaped me um exposing me to to so many viewpoints and also of course I mean research ed you know what you're going to get I mean it's not as monolithic as some people might think it is but there's a certain certain take on things you're going to get but you know the thing about Twitter is you get all sorts all sorts of of stuff and I follow loads of different people and and read lots of different things and you know some of the takes are like hmm don't know if I necessarily agree with that or again it's like well I might agree with some of that 
So, just, you know, challenging yourself and not always staying within the same echo chamber. So, yeah, loads of loads and loads of blogs. And then from that, you might read, you might actually read a whole book, you know, <laughs> not just a blog, occasionally. Um, podcasts like this one or loads of other ones. I'm trying, my mind's gone blank now as to all the other ones that are out there. I have to say there's one thing about moving to Guernsey because I'm not great at listening to podcasts unless I'm doing something. Like I'm one of those people who, like lots of people say that. So I'm like, I used to listen to them a lot when I drove, but Guernsey's too small. You're never going very far in the car. So, you know, you haven't got time to listen to a podcast. So I listen to them less since I've moved over here. That is to say, whereas I used to be able to listen to one, you know, journey to work, journey from work, done. Yeah, I remember when I started listening to Craig Barton's podcast and I'd be driving maybe 40 minutes, one direction, 40 minutes back. And over the course of yeah. maybe five days, would finish one of his episodes. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, that's one of the key ones, isn't it? I'm just trying to think I, um, of, of all that. There's so much out there now. So much out there you can listen to. Yeah, I think the, the pandemic's definitely made it a lot easier for us to access mm-hmm. the technology necessary to make the, mm-hmm. this kind of content. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it can only be a good thing because you get people thinking about their practice and their craft and sharing it with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I try and listen to podcasts when I'm doing tasks that don't require all of my attention. So, yeah. you know, if I'm doing maybe some sort of spreadsheet and, you know, maybe not the check-in part of doing the spreadsheet, but the, the manual input. Oh, I, I, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, spreadsheet I would need to concentrate. But, you know, cooking, ironing, not that I iron much. That's why I don't listen to podcasts very much anymore. Because I hate ironing, <laughs> but yeah, you know, those sort of things. Yeah. 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 I've got the dishes. So we don't, we don't have a dishwasher. I've got the dishes manually. So that's a good, that's a good half hour every night. <laughs> yeah. Some other activity too. <laughs> Over the course of your career, how have your opinions on leadership changed, if at all? And do you know what? I talked earlier about I went to the leadership program for serving her teachers ages ago. And that was really pivotal because up until then, I was like, you know, I had a weird journey into headship. I was thrown into it. And I just sort of did it and not in a very reflective way, to be honest. And that was the first time I'd really thought about it properly. And so that was, yeah, that was, um, that was re- really, really helpful for me and really uh, profound. And I think the other thing was, uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the words to articulate it then, but you know, I talked about this time when uh, relatively early in my leadership, headship career, when there was this big crisis and all the teachers got pregnant. Um, so obviously then that was a more of an emotional uh, view of headship, like, it was less intellectual, but 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 my motives for doing it changed, I suppose. So there was that. And then later on, the leadership program for serving her teachers and Daniel Goldman's thing on leadership. That was uh, really, really, really useful. Yeah. And I suppose later on after that, all the stuff that's come out in the last five years or so about domain specific um, leadership, as opposed to generic leadership styles that's been really that's that's been really useful and really helpful I think yes it's, it's almost it's it's hard to tell you know it feels like the journey was meant to happen the way it happened because you are where you are doesn't it but mm-hmm. actually you know probably when you know if you listen back and you think about the different points you're describing you can see how you know you'll mm-hmm. probably think oh it could have gone that way it could have gone that way but actually mm-hmm. you know here we are here. yeah you know, and it's, it's you know being reflective and thinking I think makes mm-hmm. the, makes a big difference if you were only able to give leaders and aspiring leaders one piece of advice 
what would it be? I was going to say, I'm going to say two things, like know yourself when you're doing it, but also that whole thing about it's not about looking good, it's about genuinely being good. I think that's going to be really, really useful, you know, because it is, it is a big shift to move towards, you know. And um, if I can think of an example from us, whenever I take people around our school, I know they're going to see really good maths teaching because we've spent the last, what, five years and um, mm-hmm. sort of embedding the practice that we that we value. You know, it, obviously it's very subjective, but this is what we think um, is beneficial to our pupils. But I know that it's not a song and dance and you have to know what you're looking for to see mm-hmm. the excellence in it. Um, and I think that's tough because you, you know, you almost need to, you need to be really resolute in that what you've done and what and the stuff you've you know what's happening you know that it's the right thing for your pupils you know i think that can be a big shift yeah and also some people don't necessarily see it they go, well i do that and you think yeah you don't really like you might you might do an echo of that but you don't you don't really do that because you've done a you're doing sort of a surface little bit of that you, you haven't really embrace the whole the whole of it so it's got this veneer of performing it again there was there was something really interesting again on twitter from somebody a way back not that long ago but she's talked about you know you've got three sort of groups of people you've got those who genuinely not generally beginning teachers and always who know that they they need they've got lots to learn no, they're not. They're not there yet. They're not a finished item. Or, or, or there might be. There might be teachers who are more experienced, but know that things aren't great, but really, really want to get better, and they're very receptive. And then you might have some teachers who are really, um, really, really good at what they do, and really secure in their self, and therefore they're not threatened if they see a different way of doing things. They're like, oh, that's interesting, and, and they don't they can learn because they're that they they're interested they don't feel yeah they're not defensive about it and they're open to new ideas and then you have people who whose egos are very bound up with what they do and therefore and they've been probably been teaching a few years and so forth they think they're they think they that it's too threatening to think that what they might be doing could be different and therefore they're quite and they see if you said, "Well, have you thought of doing it like this?" They 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 become very defensive. And and are you saying I'm no good? And it's like, no, no, but we can all be better, can't we? So that sort of people who are not out and out resistant to change, I mean, not sort of belligerent, but just who think that they're that they're sort of done. Yeah, completed it. You know, and you... actually, they could be so much better. Because like, we all can, we can all be so much better. I mean, I, I, I'm not 100% certain where psychologists stand on the Dunning Kruger anymore because I know that for a while it was, you know, very much a case of okay, this is a this is a psychological phenomenon. But recently, the people have been pushing back against it. But I do think um, I remember being maybe four or five years in and thinking I'd mastered teaching, and then yeah. you know maybe reading David I dies what if everything you knew about education was wrong and then going oh my goodness there's so much I don't know and I was yeah I think you do do need to go through that phase perhaps you know because once you get halfway competent Mm -hmm. you almost get too big for your boots and then yeah (laughs) (laughs) and like it's okay not to know it's okay not to be perfect you know it doesn't mean you're a bad person 
Like none of us, none of us know it all. And we can all, we can all improve. Absolutely. What does the future hold, Claire, in terms of your output? Are you coming to the national conference? Have you any more books in the pipeline? I know we didn't prep for this question, but I want to ask mm, you. Okay, well, the national conference does in research edge, yeah? Yes. Yeah, well, I, do you know what? It's on my list, my to-do list, is I need to apply to be a speaker. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm taking a, a load of people from Guernsey over, so um, well, I'm coming one way or the other, but I hope I'm coming to speak, um, but also as a, as a punter. Um, so yeah, I'm coming. Books, oh, do you know, I'm meant to be writing, you know, C Craig Barton, like everything, um, yeah, How I Wish I Taught Maths. I'm meant to be writing a book called How I Wish I'd Taught Reading. Yeah, and it's not going very well, as in, like, I'm, I'm just so busy, I don't have time to do it. So I've written about a page and a half, I think. And that's in about a year and a half. So yeah, and it's, I'm going to be like 326 before it's actually ever written. <laughs> so I don't know if it will actually ever get read, written. But that would be that. I, that would be great to do. Um, I don't know. I think Chris Such has sort of cornered the market on that. So maybe uh, um, his book is so good. Maybe it's not. It's, it's not needed anymore. But anyway, I would like to be able to do that. Um, yeah, like even my blog outputs. I've done two in three years. So just life is busy. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, when you've moved to a different part of the world, you know, maybe not miles away, but definitely, you know. Those moves, yeah. you know, new, new, new sort of challenge, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, it's more than acceptable. You know, you don't, you don't need to explain the way. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people are really looking forward to seeing you in uh, mm -hmm. at the at the national conference. So all I said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and we, I think we could have gone for longer. I think I might melt if we do go on for longer. <laughs> <laughs>